0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts.
1: And a happy Thursday to you. It happens to be my 49th birthday. And so I really started the day with something of a blank slate. Like I had no agenda, had nothing on my calendar. And uh, I treated myself yesterday to buying some new bedding, washed it, dried it, put it in the bed. Uh, I actually crawled into bed, I think it was a little bit before midnight, so technically I was enjoying my birthday gift to myself a few minutes before my birthday, but oh man, did I sleep good. Except for the fact that I had to turn the AC on in the middle of the night. Okay, not only was it kind of warm yet, I think, in fact, yesterday was the highest Temperature in Atlanta on record for the month of February. Am I right? 81 degrees yesterday. That's insane. And I did spend uh, a couple hours poolside yesterday. We have a, a pool that is a hot tub during the winter months uh, where I live. It's an amenity that, frankly, we all love. So I did spend a couple hours at the pool yesterday. I think I may have even got a little sun Am my little pink on the head. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, had, a, had a couple of Presidentes. Great Dominican beer, by the way and available at uh, like Total Wine & More. You may be able to find it in some other places. My second favorite beer would be Strawberry Abita. I'm just pointing this out in case anybody would like to, I don't know, make a purchase, a birthday purchase of some sort, and uh, drop it off. Where I, you don't know where I live, do you? Anyway, uh, so my yesterday was actually kind of cool. And then I got up this morning. I s- sort of slept in a little bit. But when you have cats who are on their feeding schedule, you don't really get to sleep in. So I got some snugs with the kitties and got up and, and then, like I said, just kind of started my blank slate of a day. And I'm kind of glad I did that. I do have plans for a little bit later on, uh, with a good friend of mine, we're going to catch up and, uh, go do a little, uh, dessert nosh, but I got this opportunity because I had the blank slate today to do something that I don't often get to do, and I'm really glad I did it. I was uh, just thumbing through Twitter, and I'm watching, you know, some local tweets, what's going on, starting to sort of set my agenda for the show, and uh, I saw a tweet from someone that I followed, and he literally says, if someone is in Midtown and wants to get breakfast or lunch, HMU for you non-hipster kids, uh, stands for hit me up. And so I got to catch up with King Williams today, who is, um, you know, I'll just read exactly what he says he is from Twitter, Atlanta-based journalist. He has a gentrification documentary called the Atlanta way, uh, that he told me today is releasing soon. And he's been putting out bits and pieces of it for years now. If you want to go check it out, uh, just look for the Atlanta way on YouTube. Or follow at the Atlanta Way on Twitter. Uh, he also has a podcast called Watch the Hood, and uh, also the King Williams Show. You can follow the podcasts at Watch the Hood or at K Williams Show, and uh, of course also on uh, Go Loco Plus on Twitter. Uh, Loco Plus is a, a streaming platform for uh, local content creators, filmmakers, and music artists. And I'm like following all of those now. He and I had coffee. We caught up at a Starbucks uh, in Midtown near Georgia Tech. And next thing I know, we, he and I spent an hour and a half just kind of like, you know, spitting conversation at each other, not literally spitting, but like just kind of back and forth, conversating uh, about uh, all manner of uh, political issues. And of course, I am a real estate agent. I'm also a progressive liberal and I know gentrification uh, sounds like a, Innocuous, almost pretty poetic, flowery word, but it's a dirty word uh, for a lot of folks who are all about equitable housing, fair housing, affordable housing. Those who advocate for those who have lived in major cities like Atlanta through the rough times and are now seeing their property taxes skyrocket because things are kind of flipping a little bit. You've got folks moving back uh, from OTP, ITP inside the perimeter. Uh, and so I can, as a real estate agent, as a realtor can kind of even be seen as the bad guy, the facilitator. And as I was telling King today, I'm trying to be not that person. Like I enjoy what I do for a living because it pays the bills, honestly, and it ain't ditch digging, but I really also want to be something of a facilitator for those who are looking for fair and equitable, and affordable housing, and for those who have lived in the city and may own a property but can't afford the skyrocketing property taxes because all the homes around them or all the plots around them have been redeveloped or refurbished and are now tripling, quadrupling in value, which brings their property tax rate up as well. Am I making sense here? Anyway, we had a fantastic 90-minute conversation about that and Cop City and economic disparities and educational disparities. And I mean, it was just great to, to make a new friend and someone that I certainly hope, and I've extended the offer, will uh, come on this show and talk with me about any number of subjects. We probably could have done three or four episodes in that conversation because we were just, we were just fluid. We were just on a roll. Anyway, uh, King Williams, uh, thanks for spending some time with me today. I appreciate that. That's a nice little birthday gift in and of itself. Which reminds me, that's a point that I've been wanting to make for quite a while to, uh, to anyone who listens to this show. You can be a gift of my time as well. I offer this all the time. You can always call the show. You can text the show from this number as well 404 919 2725. Let me give it to you again 404 919 2725. If you ever have comments, or want to rebut something that's being said or talked about on this show, chime in. Again, 404-919-2725. Just go ahead and put it in the phone there. Just save us as the Ron Show. Man, I'd love that. Uh, you can also t- t- uh, tweet at the Ron Show ATL if you want. If you want to just you know keep up with what we're talking about throughout the show, I welcome that. Honest to goodness, I'm not going to be one of those folks that's going to be ignoring folks when they uh, text or tweet. I love interactivity. It's fantastic. It's good for the show. It's good for the flow. It's good for knowing that we're talking about issues that matter to you on this show on a daily basis. Five days a week here on America One Radio at AmericaOneRadio.com and, of course, in podcast form on all the major podcast platforms. All right. As I'm working on today's episode, we are just now learning from the National Transportation Safety Board Uh, The NTSB releasing a preliminary report on the Ohio freight train derailment involving Atlanta-based Norfolk Southern train 32N. Uh, Thousands of gallons of toxic chemicals. Preliminary conclusion, not really all that unexpected. A wheel bearing overheated. I mean, we've seen that video time and time again of sparks flying from this one wheel bearing uh, miles before uh, the derailment. The wheel bearing, which was visible as a glow on security footage about 20 miles before that derailment, uh, measured at 253 degrees above air temperature when it passed a sensor east of East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, That triggered an alarm. Uh, The train's crew, uh, I think a crew of three, by the way, can you believe that, Uh, began trying to stop the train. By then it was too late. Uh, A sensor about 20 miles earlier, so really not all that far from the uh, security footage, the wheel bearing had measured at 103 degrees above air temperature, below the 170 degree threshold for an alarm. But 10 miles before that, the wheel bearing had been just 38 degrees above air temperature. All right, so you start at 38 degrees above air temperature, and then 10 miles later uh, at 103 degrees, and then 10 miles later, 253 degrees. And that's when the crew started their emergency brake deceleration. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about this next segment, but obviously, the the huge headline from East Palestine, Ohio yesterday was that the former president Donald Trump swooped in on a campaign stop. I mean, let's call it what it was. It was a campaign stop. Sure, he came with uh, bottled wa- Trump ice and Trump bottled water, right? that was purchased, not donated from him, but purchased by his campaign funds. (laughs) Purchased by his campaign funds from his business venture. So those who donated to his campaign paid for the water that he could have just given away, but didn't because he's got a profit from it. God. Grift going to grift, am I right? Anyway, I, I want to talk a little bit about that next segment. And actually, the the overarching theme of how hard it is to prove that regulations save lives and protect citizens when you can't really prove that regulations in place are saving lives until you don't have those regulations to show that the lack of regulations... Cost lives. Am I making sense with that? Anyway, uh, there's there's a great piece from uh, a journalistic organization called the Texas Tribune that talks about how there are several gun measures, seven as a matter of fact, that had they been passed in the state of Texas, would have saved hundreds of lives and prevented. Uh, I believe like a half dozen or more mass shootings. Anyway, we'll get into that next segment here on The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, Radio.com or the podcast platform you're
0: listening on. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this.
1: Oh, hey, you're still here. Hey, that's cool. Thanks for sticking around. Not only am I host of The Ron Show, I'm also Ron Roberts, real estate agent slash realtor with EXP Realty. That's right. I help folks buy and sell residential real estate in and around Metro Atlanta. And we've been through a crazy couple of years, have we not? Between COVID, the post COVID market, the craziness. You could throw an open house on a souped up tool shed and you would have cars lined around the block to come in and see it and throw an offer well over asking price. Well, those days are no longer a part of us, and interest rates are a little higher than they were before. But I must say, it's still a great time to either buy or sell or both. Real estate, residential real estate in Metro Atlanta. Why buy? I tell tenuous buyers all the time, if you are renting right now, you are paying someone else's retirement accounts your money, and it might as well go to you. The cost of housing in Atlanta is not going to get cheaper. The population is going to continue to grow well into the 2040s with nearly a million and a half new residents expected to come here. So, you better get a house sooner rather than later. And if you can afford to buy an investment property, now, if you already own your home, why not buy one nearby you as well and create some additional income that could be your retirement savings? And you get to choose one of your new neighbors. Now, if you're thinking about selling, but you're thinking, oh man, I really missed out on that huge market in the past summer or two. Okay, yeah, sure. But the values aren't dropping. So, you still got plenty you've earned just by owning what you're in and need to sell soon. Got questions? Feel free to hit me up, 843-283-0078, or email me ron at rononthereal.com, Georgia MLS 396-720, website rononthereal.com. That's me, Ron Roberts with eXp Realty.
0: Take the Ron show wherever you go. Download the America one radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron show on America one radio
1: and the birthday episode continues. Thanks for listening. I appreciate that. I had to check to make sure that this wasn't a lip dub or a dub over or something along those lines because I can't believe that this actually aired on Fox News. Listen to this.
2: Uh, uh, Speaking of the White House, uh, apparently regulations regarding train safety were changed during the Trump administration. Uh, this particular railroad and others lobbied President Trump to dismantle an Obama-era rule that would have required railroads to update their braking systems. And uh, apparently the Obama administration had pushed it to govern transportation of hazardous materials after about half a million uh, barrels of crude were dumped. Uh, but ultimately, the Trump administration undid that and said the costs exceeded the benefits. Holy shit, y'all.
1: Fox just admitted that it was Trump rollback of regulations that played a role potentially in the train derailment in Ohio. Am I hearing that right? Holy sh! Now, I like to arm you with witty comebacks, retorts, et cetera, and so on that you can carry on into conversations when you have these conversations with folks who are ideologically opposite you and I. And So a lot of the common retorts that we get are, well, why didn't the Biden administration change these regulations back to where they were? You'd have thought that after two years in power, they'd have at least corrected these Trump era mistakes. Here's your response to that. Wait, wait, wait. Are you acknowledging that regulations are actually good, that they can actually do good? That's the silence you'd be met with. <laughs> this is really no different than having to respond to anyone who uh, professes to be anti-vax and anti-mask and/or anti-vax and/or anti-mask. It's impossible to prove how many lives have been saved by those measures, because they were saved. They weren't hospitalizations. they weren't fatalities. There's no ways to bear that out statistically, right? Except to say that it's pretty likely that we mitigated more hospitalizations, more fatalities, with social distancing, mask wearing, and vaccination. This is a similar conundrum that uh, pro-gun legislation folks have arguing against the pro-gun lobby. Except, except there's actually been some analysis done on this in Texas, as a matter of fact. I saw this tweet, um, I don't know, a week or so ago, and I'm glad they retweeted it today because I've been meaning to bring it up and I haven't had a chance to. Follow the Texas Tribune, by the way, on Twitter. They're a fantastic journalistic organization, uh, nonprofit, I believe, so there's no bias built in in order to satisfy advertisers. Uh, This tweet, in fact, uh, from earlier today, an analysis by ProPublica and the Texas Tribune found that at least two dozen bills filed in the Texas legislature over nearly the past six decades would have prevented people from legally obtaining the weapons used in seven of the state's mass shootings. That's just in the state of Texas. By the way, I'm retweeting this article. You can catch it at RonchoATL on Twitter Uh, Let's see. In short, at least five bills would have required that people seeking to obtain a gun undergo a background check. Such a check would have kept the man involved in a 2019 shooting spree in Midland and Odessa from legally purchasing the weapon because he had been deemed to have a mental illness. Seven bills would have banned the sale or possession of the semi-automatic rifle that a shooter used to kill dozens of people at an El Paso Walmart in 2019. And at least two bills would have raised the legal age to own or purchase an assault weapon from 18 to 21 years old, which would have made it illegal for the Uvalde shooter to buy the semi-automatic assault rifles. It goes on to say, by the way, a state house committee that investigated the Uvalde massacre found that the shooter had tried to get at least two people to buy a gun for him before he turned 18, but was unsuccessful immediately after his birthday. He purchased two AR-15 style rifles and thousands of rounds of ammunition, which he used to kill 19 students and two teachers at Robb Elementary School. Democratic State Representative Joe Moody said if that law had been 21, I guarantee you he would have continued to be frustrated and not be able to obtain the weapon. And to kind of draw this to a close at the top of the article, in the past six decades, the state of Texas has experienced at least 19 mass shootings that have killed a total of nearly 200 people and wounded more than 230 others. Yet state leaders have repeatedly batted away measures that would limit access to guns, opting instead to ease restrictions on publicly carrying them while making it harder for local governments to regulate them. Now, I started this segment by playing a Fox News clip from earlier today. I believe that was on uh, their morning show, Fox and Friends. Uh, Because I recognize the voice. Uh, In in any event, here we are a day after Donald Trump went to Ohio, East Palestine, Ohio, to uh, pass out water. Trump bottled water, by the way, paid for by his campaign funds, which means that he didn't donate it. Which means that his campaign coffers filled by rubes who continue to send money to his campaign inexplicably after all that he's done. He then takes that campaign money to buy the water, which means it's for profit. It goes back to pad his wallet. Y'all, I just don't get Trump people, why they don't understand how they're they're being taken. In any event, the the campaign photo op stopped for him yesterday. While those on the right are grousing that Biden hasn't been there yet, uh, I believe uh, Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, is there today. Which makes sense because the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, I believe, uh, released their findings today. And so what would he have been there before today to discuss anyway, other than to have a photo op? That NTSB report, by the way, seems to indicate that the uh, crew tried to break Stop the Train, which goes back to Trump rollback of breaking regulations in the rail industry. Ah, hell, why take my word for it when you can hear Steve Ducey say it all over again? Uh,
2: uh, Speaking of the White House, uh, apparently regulations regarding train safety were changed during the Trump administration. this particular railroad and others lobbied President Trump to dismantle an Obama-era rule that would have required railroads to update their braking systems. And uh, apparently the Obama administration had pushed for it to govern transportation of hazardous materials after about half a million uh, barrels of crude were dumped. Uh, but ultimately the Trump administration undid that and said the costs exceeded the benefits.
1: By the way, that was a three-person crew uh, here in East Palestine that prevented what probably would have been much worse had the rail industry gotten what they wanted from federal regulators, which would have been a one-person crew. So, yeah, Donald showed up in his red hat, giving away expired water that he used campaign funds to buy from himself to pad his bottom line. So, once again, his flock will pay attention to that and to what his regulatory rollback
0: did. More Ron Show on America One Radio next. Follow The Ron Show on Facebook at The Ron Show Radio. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So,
1: this is the long segment. I normally have a guest. Uh, Today, I don't. Uh, I was working on one, and we just couldn't nail it down in time for us to air. So, perhaps tomorrow. Uh, So, what we'll do instead is bounce around on some headlines a little bit. Uh, We'll start close to home here. I say close to home, and yet the folks trying to make this happen live like more than 100 miles up from here. This is kind of crazy. The Buckhead City movement is not a dead movement. I don't know if you knew this, but there is a Republican legislator from Catula, uh, Randy Robertson, state senator who lives outside the city of Atlanta. Oh by the way, the other eight legislators who have signed on to his proposal also live outside the city of Atlanta uh, are trying to make it so that there can be a vote on the Buckhead City potential and by the way I don't know if you knew this there is already a Buckhead Georgia so this would have to be called Buckhead City it would be Buckhead City Georgia yeah so we would go from just colloquially calling Buckhead Buckhead to Buckhead City. Okay, I mean, that's not even the biggest problem with all this. Uh, there are other concerns, and uh, I'll be glad to cover those uh, here briefly. Uh, so there, uh, are, there's the proposal to detach Buckhead as a Buckhead city from the city of Atlanta. And uh, this proposal would like to let Buckhead residents within proposed boundaries vote on whether to form a new city on the November 2024 ballot. Now, this, uh, this legislation, according to the AJC, is split into two bills. Bill 114 uh, outlines details of the proposed city of Buckhead City, <laughs> the city of Buckhead City, while Senate Bill 113 allows, this is what's scary, allows for the transfer of government services and facilities from one municipality to a newly formed municipality. Would that include Atlanta public schools? Mm. So anyway, Randy Robertson, by the way, uh, who I've pointed out before, lives in Catula, Georgia, like on the west, like more than 100 miles from here. He says, I believe that the people that live within the area that they want to be called the city of of Buckhead have a right to be heard. And when I say a right to be heard, I'm not saying that they necessarily are going to go out of their former city but they have the right to go to the polls and vote on a referendum that gives them the choice if they want to form their own city. Here's the problem, Randy. The folks that represent Buckhead in the state legislature are elected by those residents and have been on the record against a Buckhead city movement. And so are we not already accepting these voting results as a de facto referendum? And let me just add, by the way, a a dangerous precedent we're starting to see here, notably from the right, by the way, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene with her national divorce trial balloon earlier this week. Mr. Randy Robertson here trying from Cthulhu, Georgia, to affect civic affairs here in Atlanta, Georgia. And as we touched on was it yesterday the day before we were talking about how residents of Alpharetta and Milton in northern Fulton County want to detach themselves at least when it comes to elections. They want to handle their own elections from a municipal standpoint instead of as part of the Fulton County Election Board. These are all dangerous precedents and somewhat analogous to The immature, churlish, okay, fine, y'all do it that way. I'm going to take my ball and go home mentality we all dealt with from spoiled brats that lived in our neighborhood on the same block down the road from us. (laughs) I've also said it before, and I hope this stings to those who are proponents of this. It's a really lazy form, incredibly lazy form of white flight. At least pack your shit and leave if you want to leave. Stop being lazy about it. I know that there are those who want to point to crime. Actually, crime is on the deceleration. That's right. Crime is lowering. Crime rates are going down in the city of Atlanta. And yet you have proponents like Mariam Schwegman, who is a uh, Buckhead real estate agent, who said, I urge you to give us the opportunity to vote and have a voice. She mentioned her family was the victim of a home intruder, saying, we should have that right. How do these invisible city limits change what would have happened? They don't. And in fact, they can exacerbate them. Because you're looking to detach from a city that you had been a part of before and are thus in complicity when it comes to some of that city's debt service. But you're going to leave it's, it's like divorcing someone and saying, I'm not responsible for those credit card bills we racked up. Sorry, you're on your own. And then the person you divorce has to file for bankruptcy or go under or, or worse because the mounting debt that you've abandoned piled up on them. And listen, that's not the first time that's happened. I mean, white flight, I, I mentioned white flight, out migration, whatever you want to call it, suburban out migration occurred for decades through the 20th century, where you had folks who were leaving mostly due to scholastic integration and diversification, the fear of diversification. Folks would sell their homes, pack up, leave, head to the suburbs, and yet all that infrastructure that was needed when they lived there, it's still here. We still have to have it. In fact, they still need to have it to come in and out of the city to get to and from their jobs and so that goods and services can get out to their gated communities out in the suburbs. I mean, I'm obviously generalizing and stereotyping. Not all neighborhoods in the suburbs are gated. I'm just saying, but that infrastructure has to be here still in order for the goods and services, the jobs that many of them still hold inside the city limits, can continue to exist. And of course, they're driving in and out. We don't have toll roads going in and out of the city limits, although maybe we should. Maybe we should. And if you're a resident, we'll put a little decal on your vehicle so that you can whiz right through it without having to pay because you're already paying via property tax and sales tax when you purchase in the city, right? And if you don't live in the city, then you're going to have to pay that toll to go to the roads that we, the city of Atlanta, have to maintain so that you can get to and from your job or retail necessities. I'm curious, Senator Robertson, if in either one of those bills, you put in a provision that the new city of Buckhead City would be responsible for at least a proportionality of the city's debt upon exiting. Can we put that on the bill, sir? Bet it's not in either of those bills' language. Guarantee it. Okay, the Senate Committee on State and Local Governmental Operations uh, had a hearing on this uh, late yesterday afternoon. The chairman is uh, State Senator Frank Ginn, who is a Danielsville Republican, and says that there will be another meeting Monday morning to have discussion among the members and vote on the measures to see if they will advance to the full General Assembly. All right, moving on. Emily Coors is not a household name, but damn if she's not trying to make sure she is. She is the Fulton County grand jury forewoman who is running around talking to the AP, the AJC, and just about anybody else who will give her a few minutes to discuss the inner workings of the grand jury investigating Trump's potential meddling and interference in the 2020 Georgia elections. Now, before I go talking about what she has and hasn't said, I have to tell you that Judge Robert McBurney has said that she's followed all the protocols. She's said nothing that she isn't allowed to say. It's just not a good look. Barbara McQuaid is a former federal prosecutor, uh, a U.S. attorney for the uh, Eastern District of Michigan. I'm sorry, a former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. And she wrote an op ed that wound up on MSNBC. This headline Take it from a former prosecutor, Emily Coors Media Tour is Reckless. It's subheadline Why the Blood Pressure of Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis Must Be Spiking. Let me give you a taste of what Ms. McQuaid is talking about. Uh, Emily Coors, the person of the special grand jury in Fulton County, went on a media tour of sorts, giving interviews to NBC News, the New York Times, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and other news outlets, and she is apparently enjoying her moment in the spotlight. She revealed the names of witnesses who testified. Rudy Giuliani left her starstruck. Senator Lindsey Graham was personable. Former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows shared very little. She told us that some witnesses were immunized. She confirmed that the jurors had listened to a recording of former President Donald Trump's phone call with Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and had discussed the slate of alternate electors. Although she did not reveal the names of any of the people the grand jury recommended indictments for, when she was asked whether Trump was one of them, she replied, You're not going to be shocked. It's not rocket science. Yikes. We all know what that means. Uh, Barbara goes on to write, even more alarming were some of the things Coors said about her own experience. Uh, this, this one kind of caught me too, by the way. She said she swore in one witness while holding a Ninja Turtles ice pop she had received at the district attorney's office ice cream party. Barbara goes on to write, oh, what? Why on earth would grand jurors be socializing with the prosecutors? A grand jury is an independent body, and prosecutors are trained to maintain a professional distance and avoid engaging in interactions that could be perceived as influencing their decisions. Barbara McQuaid is absolutely right. And you know who's pouncing on this? Trump's attorneys. Two of Trump's Georgia-based defense attorneys are speaking out. This type of carnival, clown-like atmosphere that was portrayed over the course of the last 36 hours takes away from the complete sanctity and the integrity and, for that matter, the reliability of the investigation, according to Trump defense attorney Drew Findling. I mean, is he wrong? I'm agreeing with a Trump defense attorney, y'all. Hang on, I gotta take a drink. That tastes out of my mouth. It's still there. Again, Fulton County Judge Robert McBurney has gone on the record to say Emily Cores isn't saying anything that she's not allowed to say. But can he not also say, but maybe she should just not take calls? I mean, it's it's the journalist's job to try and reach out to her, to try and needle her for information as best they can, because we are an impatient people. We are dying for some sort of action, some sort of resolution some sort of repercussions to fall at the feet of one Donald John Trump. But all she's doing is complicating matters, because now Trump's Georgia defense attorneys have indicated that they're kind of keeping their legal options open and might even be filing court motions in response. You don't think that's going to slow up, gum up the process a little bit more? Emily, please, ma'am, shut the hell up. And I say that with all due respect. Barbara McQuaid goes on to write, and by the way, I'll include the link in today's show notes. Uh, Coors also revealed some other concerning facts. She reported that when witnesses invoked their Fifth Amendment right to refrain from answering questions on the basis that their answers might incriminate them, she could hear all the other grand jurors writing furiously. This could indicate that jurors were improperly holding the assertion of a constitutional right against witnesses. She said another member of the grand jury brought a newspaper into the room every day and pointed out stories about their investigation, though she herself avoided news coverage to maintain an open mind. Barbara writes, I can only imagine the skyrocketing blood pressure of District Attorney Fonnie Willis, who, unlike the special grand jury, actually has the power to bring indictments and who has said her decision is, quote, imminent. A blabbing grand jury threatens to upend the whole enterprise. The last line that I'll read from this, because it should resonate in your minds, at some point, impropriety by a grand jury could be grounds for a claim of violation of the due process rights of the accused. And a successful claim contained anything that occurred afterward, requiring dismissal of any indictments and a complete do-over, so long as the statute of limitations has not yet run. Back after this. <laughs> I'm hoping you've heard me say this before. I am actually also a realtor with eXp Realty. And you can learn more about me and my business at com. Or you can call me if you have questions about buying or selling your house. Just want to find out what your home's worth. 843-283-0078. Actually, you can get the home valuation done at runonthereal.com as well. And see the latest listings. About to list a nice home down in McDonough in a 55 plus retirement community. Can't wait to tell you a little bit more about that. But what I do want to tell you about is this. Have you noticed, by the way, everybody's been grousing about interest rates rising. They've actually been going down, mortgage rates anyway, for the last few months. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So it's not like historic lows like it was in 2020 and 2021, but still we are seeing a little bit of a backtrack in mortgage rates. And by the way, lenders are offering buy-down programs that can get that mortgage rate down by one, two, often three percentage points so that you are buying back at the rates folks were buying at in 2021. I'd love to introduce you to some of those lenders. A lot of them, good friends of mine. I can set you up and then we can start looking for your new place. Give me a call at 843-283-0078 or hit me up, Ron, at rononthereal.com. Georgia MLS, 396 720 And if you're looking to sell your home, well, I just told you, interest rates are actually kind of crawling back a little bit, so there's a lot more interest in the housing market again. I get it. It's the holidays. You want folks not trapping through your house and gawking at your Christmas presents, and that goofy uncle of yours is visiting from Vermont through the holidays to get away from the snow. That's fine. don't have to list it right now, but it is time to start talking about listing your home if you're looking to do so in January or February, right before the spring market heats up. Give me a call, 843-283-0078, ron at rononthereal.com.
0: Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio.
1: Uh, Let's start with on this day in black history. It was on this day in the year 1925 that uh, politician uh, Lewis Stokes was born in Cleveland, Ohio. He was uh, in the House of Representatives back in 1968, representing the 21st District on Cleveland's east side. He shifted to the newly created 11th District, covering much of the same area after a 1992 redistricting, serving 15 terms in total, retiring in 1999. He's also... Well, this is—it's uh, worth mentioning—he's also the cousin of Rick James. It was on this day in 1929 that uh, St. Louis Cardinal catcher Elston Howard was born. Uh, he passed away in 1980. The first Black general of the U.S. Marine Corps was named on this day, fellow by the name of Frank E. Peterson Jr. That happened on this day in 1979. So as I wind down the birthday episode of The Ron Show, my birthday, turning 49 years of age today, uh, I'm reminded of where I was when this show started. And uh, I tell people this often here lately. Uh, you may or may not be aware of this. If you are a recurring listener, first of all, I, I want to thank you. Um uh, I talk with uh, Jeremy Brazil often uh, at America One Radio about the opportunity he gave me just handing over an hour of his prime uh, weekday airtime to talk with you guys about what's going on in and around Atlanta, in and around Georgia, throughout the country, and around the world, politically speaking. And uh, it's an honor that uh, I'm afforded this and the fact that uh, he hasn't said, listen, folks are dropping off left and right after... uh, (laughs) after Randy Rhodes at al to listen or not listen to you. So we're going to go a different direction and you haven't done that. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, but as well, I have to point something out to you that, uh, I haven't said yet. I don't think on the air. And it's that this show, uh, gave me some guardrails that I didn't know I needed before. Uh, having worked in the radio broadcasting industry for more than 25 years before, which wasn't really a Monday through Friday job, but more like a Monday through Saturday and sometimes on Sunday too kind of job. It was a more than full-time job for those of us who worked through the era of pre-consolidation and then the consolidation era after the uh, the FCC uh, Deregulation Act in the mid-1990s. So the reason to get up every day and go to work five, six days a week had sort of eluded me as I got into real estate. There would be days where You get up and you try hard and you try and find new clients and it didn't work. And you do that for month and month and month on end. And you finally just kind of get tired of it. And then you start, you know, gaining some traction with the referral businesses, that and the other. But I didn't always have a reason to get up out of bed Monday through Friday with anything to do uh, aside from, you know, some rudimentary outreach. And then you sit around with nothing to do. And they say the idle hands are the devil's tool. And the same can be said for the mind as well. Uh, going back to when I found out I was being divorced, uh, August of 2019, didn't launch this show until October of 2022. And, and in that large period of time, there was a lot of idle hands, idle mind, uh, the devil's sanctuary. And so having something to get up for five days a week and also to appreciate the two days of the week that I don't have a formal weekend again has helped me recenter my mind in ways that uh I can't really quantify. Plus getting to take some of my broadcast background and my passion for not just politics but for bettering humanity and my community and my city and my state and our country and this world has really um I don't know, just put a charge into me that uh I hadn't felt in quite a while. Uh so I want to thank you for listening and logging in every day, whether it's beforehand and you just stay on and grit through it or you've come to appreciate what my spin on uh this whole process is, uh not only with Americo One Radio, but also now that we're on podcast form, I, I just can't thank you enough for uh you know giving me that little bit of wind that I needed in my sail. Uh, over this uh, course of time, and you know, here we are, month five. We're more than a hundred episodes in, and I'm just grateful for the opportunity. I really am. Uh, I also have to note that it uh, it's with sadness that I found out today that uh, a former radio colleague of mine from Mobile, Alabama. We all knew and loved him as Little Joe, uh, Joe Gaston, uh, passing away suddenly yesterday. I believe he was a little bit older than I was. And as you get into your upper 40s and close to 50, you start finding that your friends are dwindling. Your longtime uh, friends are, are, are passing away in numbers that you don't expect them to. Uh, I'm pretty saddened to hear about that. And I'm uh, thinking of his close friends and our coworkers in Mobile. And I remember his mama in particular, Miss Kathy. Love her dearly. My heart uh, goes out to her, and my thoughts are with her and her family today as they mourn the the loss of her son, their, their little Joe, Joe Gaston, having passed away. In fact, they were gracious enough when I lived in Mobile to open their home to me when I couldn't get home for Thanksgiving. I can't remember why, but there was one year I just could not get home for Thanksgiving, and they had me at their table, and that is something I will always cherish and be grateful for. So my thoughts and well wishes to the Gaston family on the passing of little Joe today. All right. My guest tomorrow, Randy Fair, former Fulton County teacher. He writes uh, about the concerns he has about all the anti-LGBTQ rhetoric popping up now in political discourse. He also wrote the book Southern Gay Teacher, and we'll have him on to talk about his op-ed in today's AJC. That's tomorrow on the Ron Show. You guys have a great one. We will see you tomorrow. And thanks for all the wishes. <laughs>